Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, hey, welcome to Page Break. I'm your host, Brian McClellan, coming to you on a sunny, quiet day in the mountains of Utah. Today's guest is multi-genre novelist and comic writer Delilah S. Dawson. Delilah is known for widespread work with tie-in fiction, including Star Wars, Spider-Man, Rick and Morty, Hellboy, and Firefly. She writes fantasy under the name Leela Bowen with the Shadow series, and comedy fantasy in partnership with Kevin Hearn on the Tales of Pell series. Her next book, a middle-grade horror novel called Mine, is out on August 10th, 2021. Delilah and I talk about exercise as a form of creative inspiration, the grueling schedule of a comic writer, and Delilah's experience working on Star Wars. Enjoy my chat with Delilah S. Dawson. you been doing it used me to like sum up the last year and a half right <laughs> it's it's a little bit much isn't it it is well it's also i mean it's hard to like think back to when when things were normal because the new normal is is so strange and hermit crabish it's like what were you when you weren't a hermit crab and you're like a little tiny pink thing that was out in the world lost i don't know i like the shell but, right. I, but I really miss you know the cons and stuff it was uh I don't know. It's 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 hit me hard now not being able to go because all of our friends are spread out across the world in the country and we would see each other for, you know, three or four days a year. And now we don't even get that. Right. You know, everybody keeps asking me, you know, what what's your next con? What are you going to do? You know, when are you going to be in person again? And like, I, I'm not scheduling anything. I just I like because I, I don't know how the Delta variant is going to end up affecting big crowds. And, huh. and I said yes to Salt Lake Fanex in September. And I'm still kind of like, am I comfortable with that already? Like being in a room with a hundred thousand people? Yeah. Like, Same in between the time when I said yes to Dragon Con and now like the Delta and the, the Delta and Lambda apparently weren't on the radar back then. It's like, oh, we're good. I've got both of my vaccinations. Let's do this. And now it's like, oh, please, yeah. if I do this, make people wear masks. Don't do that. Like, we trust you. Sure. You're vaccinated. Right. And I just, I, I don't know. So, like, who knows? I don't know when I'm going to start actually seeing my writer friends in person again. But we've we've moved. We were in uh, Tampa, Florida, and now we're back in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Um. So, so change of pace here. Uh. Even if today it's super rainy, so it kind of feels like Florida for a few minutes. But we have seasons again, and yeah. it, it only gets up to like 91 degrees instead of 101. So there's changes. Man, uh, here in Utah, like our summer so far, like we get. We usually get above a hundred for a little bit um, each summer, and we've had above a hundred like ten days already this year. Well, y'all get like fires too. I've noticed lately. Yeah, like, that wasn't a thing I remember hearing about before. I followed a couple people over there. Yeah, no, the last couple of years we've had really bad uh, wildfires, and um, last year we had just the mountain right that we live on caught fire. And oh, we, I remember seeing your pictures. It was yeah. so, like just constantly hazy. It's it it's terrifying. We had the the neighborhood, the next neighborhood down got evacuated, uh, but no houses got hit from that fire. So. So fingers crossed that doesn't happen again anytime soon. Yeah, fire. It's like everywhere you live, it seems like there's something that's going to get you. And it's like over here, it's like tornadoes. It's like, okay, well, I know what to do with that. But it's like fires and earthquakes. I don't feel comfortable around. Right, right. And that's like my my wife and I talk about moving to California at some point. But you'd get fires and earthquakes. It's going to snap off like a piece of pie crust one day. Like every time I go to San Diego Comic-Con, I'm like, just don't snap off today. Right, exactly. Um, do you guys get, uh, do you guys kind of get hit at all with the hurricane? We get what we have today, which I'm guessing is Elsa, Elsa roll off, which is just like, uh, you know, two or three hours of pretty hardcore rain that started a leak in my basement. So thanks Elsa. Oh, nice. Um, but like actual hurricanes, once they hit land, you know, they, they kind of die off. Yeah. Like tropical storm or whatever. 
Yeah. What they call it. So sometimes they can like kick off little um, tornadoes up here, but yeah, that's not. I mean, I want to say I, I almost said that's not too bad, but I'm sure it still sucks. It sucks, but like when you have a a basement, you know, it's not it's not as worrisome. Like uh, in Florida, when we had to deal with the hurricanes, there are no basements in Florida because the water table and the lime is like, oh, do you want a sinkhole? That's how you get sinkholes. Um, so when there was a hurricane, you're just like, oh well, we're in the laundry room. <laughs> My uh, uh, growing up in Ohio, we we would occasionally get tornadoes, and every time we'd get one of those big storms my mom would immediately go to the basement with a hand crank radio and like a little extra flashlight and like, you know, huddled under a blanket. And my dad would be standing on the front patio watching the storm go by. (laughs) There are two kinds of people. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Always a good time. Yeah. But hey, how's the writing been? You you are I, I was I was trying to do a little bit of more research for this because you and I haven't even talked for since the last time we saw each other in person. Yeah. Um and you are stupidly prolific to the point where I'm slightly annoyed. <laughs> I mean it's it's how how I manage my anxiety <laughs> depression. <laughs> it's my dopamine my dopaminergic system at work. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I uh I, it worked out back in 2019, I was really loaded up on comics. I was doing a bunch of comics for IDW and boom. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, comics, you just, you're getting 10, 20 emails every day. You're changing your scripts, you're okaying inks and pencils and, you know, uh, letters and like, it's near constant. Um, so I didn't write any new books in 2019. I was out of contract for the first time since I started writing in 22 or 20, 2012. Yeah. Um, and it was terrifying. So I, as soon as the pandemic hit, I had nothing to do. So I was just writing constantly. So now we're seeing the the kind of down river flow of that. <laughs> that place where the dog squatted is turning yellow now. <laughs> Man, that's great. So, so let's, let's start a little bit with the comics because you've done quite a few of them now. And uh, like, cause when we met, I like, I, I know you as a novel writer. Yeah. Um, but you when when did you get into comics you were there my dude um was you I? remember uh gen con 2015 i mean i don't remember anything before like six months ago so oh no you were there we went to the the weber grill steakhouse with the whole crew of people oh yes i do remember that yeah, yeah. so um at gen con 2015 my first and only gen con um there i was asked to be uh on a panel called mm-hmm. uh comic writing comics for women, something yeah. like that. But they realized at the last moment that their writing comics for women panel was five white guys. So they kind of freaked out and they asked uh, me and a couple of other people to be on that panel. And because I had written like free comics for an anthology twice, like I'd written 12 pages of comics in my entire life, they asked me and I was yeah. like, I don't like, I'll do my best, man. Like I'm happy to help. So I was on this panel and it was, it was so bad that the Mary Sue did like a two page expose or two day expose on uh, the things that occurred with what the the panel's host said. Yeah. Uh, the moderator was a little bit biased and it wasn't for women. Ooh. So uh, I said in there, I was like, I want to write comics, but I am, I'm finding it difficult to break into uh, comics as a woman. And that day, an editor from Boom emailed me and was like, hey, I saw you wanted to write comics. Do you want to pitch me? And so I pitched him some stuff. And that's where Lady Castle, my first comic, came from. Mm-hmm. So from that day, Gen Con. That's dang cool. I didn't I didn't realize that that was like when when we were hanging out. Yeah. Um man, that's very fun. And and you've kind of kept up on that then. And well, I mean, I not right now. I kind of I quit last year because it was becoming where I realized like I writing books is is my my heartstrings. I, it's what I really love and I like comics, but uh I guess if we're if we're talking numbers, I got my tax returns and I saw that like a whole year of just throwing myself into comics head first. 10, 20, 30 emails a day, like working mm-hmm. myself to the bone, I had made less money than one book Oof. for what felt that's... like 10 times as much work. Yeah. Um, so it kind of got to be that sense of like, unless I'm really, really in love with the project, uh, I'm kind of sticking with books right now. Right. So yeah, but I mean, I got to write uh, Star Wars Adventures and Spider-Man and Firefly and Labyrinth and Adventure Time, and Rick and Morty. Uh, and work with Aaron Mankey of Lore to do a, a comic. So like, I got to do some really cool stuff. And like, if 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 a comic, if they came to me and were like, "Hey, we write some Transformers," I'd be like, I'd just like drop the book and be like, "Yes." <laughs> but I'm kind of chill on it now. Do Do you think so? Did you start doing tie-in stuff with comics before you started writing book uh, and short story tie-in stuff? 
No, so my, my first tie-in was uh, like back in 2012 when my first book came out, um, someone I met at a writing con, Kevin Maurer, who wrote the, I think the, the book about capturing Osama bin Laden, uh, recommended me to Amazon's Kindle Worlds when they were starting that. And so they sent me a message asking if I wanted to write in the Valiant comics world. So I wrote a short story novella, I guess, for Shadow Man. Mm-hmm. And that was my first IP project. Um, and so then I, I asked my agent, you know, when our friend Chuck Wendig got to write Star Wars, I was like, please, agent, tell Star Wars, I want to write for them. <laughs> uh, and so I got to write, um, in my first Star Wars piece was a novella called The Perfect Weapon about a character from The Force Awakens. Yeah. Um, and then it worked up to Phasma, my first Star Wars book. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, in order to write Phasma, I had to go to Lucasfilm offices in San Francisco and uh, read the script for The Last Jedi. Uh-huh. Um, and so it came that IDW wanted to do some comics about Rose Tico. And, you know, you have to have so much time to get the writing and the, the artwork done that they're going, oh, God, oh, God, like, we don't have time to get someone through the NDAs to read the script. Can we find someone? Uh, can we find a woman who's read the script, who writes comics? And yeah. I was the only person in that, <laughs> that like little Venn diagram. So I got to write Star Wars Adventures, and that's kind of where it, it picked up, I think. I, like right place at the right time kind of thing? Yeah, it was, it was very fortunate. Um, but, you know, I guess they, they liked it well enough to invite me on to do some other works, too. So it's, I, I've loved working with IDW and Boom. Both of them have been really cool. Yeah. Now, do you think – so you mentioned comics being a lot more work than just sitting down and writing a novel oh yeah um is that is that creative work is it trying to kind of coordinate with you know artist and editor and stuff like that where does that extra work come from because when i open a comic as a writer i look at that and say oh there's like you know two lines on every page or you know whatever and and i'm experienced enough to realize that it's way more complicated than that but i've also never actually done it and so where does the extra work come from? Um, it comes from the added layers of the fact that it's a, a collaboration between the writer and the many artists working on it. And the, the artists do the heavy lifting. Like the writing is, I think, the easy part. I, I have utmost respect for comics, um, you know, inkers, colors, and letters. But basically, you know, if I'm writing an IP book, they say, hey, do you want to write this? I send over three or four pitches. They pick a pitch. Um, and over the course of a week or two, we develop an outline that, you know, is probably 10 to 15 pages. And then we get the blessings from, you know, the, the IP holder and I, I write. And then unless I have a question, I don't really need anything from them. They don't need anything from me. And I turn it in before my deadline and then we go into edits. Um, yeah. With comics, they usually, it feels like they don't have as firm of an idea as what they want a lot of the time or there are more people involved. Um, so like, you know, if I'm working on Star Wars, it's my my editor at Del Rey and then the Lucasfilm story group and some other shareholders. Um, if I am working on Spider-Man, it's my editor at IDW, his boss at IDW, um, the Marvel comics people, the Marvel movie people, the Disney people. Um, so there's just like, and then we also have to coordinate it with the, all the other Spider-Man stuff that's going on to make sure that we're not, you know, both writing the same arc. So that's all, all that involved. So once you get that hammered down and you get a script and then you get it to the artist, it's like every time they have ink page it went you know they have the they send you sketches yeah. you have to okay those and say like no when i said this i meant this or you know i you missed this part or let's do this you know so you have to edit that and then they come in again and you have to get it right and then the inker comes in and then the colors comes in and then the letters come in and you have to adjust you know your your script might change like there might not be enough room for all of your words you might need to change them a little bit it's just this constant kind of back and forth conversation whereas you know a book is more like a, a long long distance epistolary relationship. Like you you write your letter, you send it off and you wait until someone else gets you back a letter. Whereas comics is just like constant, constant noise. Like I remember there was, I can't remember which comic it was. I think it might've been a lore comic where I finally had to say to the editor, like, can I, can I get less emails per day? Cause I don't think I'm necessary for this. And it's making me a crazy person. I can't get anything done. Yeah, man, that, that sounds just absolutely bonkers. You know, I, as I've been doing this podcast, I've been talking to some people about, collaborative kind of storytelling and and writing and and doing ip work and things like that and it always it always blows my mind how different something that on the surface seems very similar to what i do for a living which is just write the big fat books um you know you would think that would be very similar to doing comics or even to writing a novel that's owned by someone else um but it really isn't things change so much when you have 
kind of other creative input and like kind of that oversight, I guess. Well, there's also the point where, um, you know, if I, if I write a book and I send it off to my editor and they say, you know, can you, can you tweak the ending? Could you add in a scene, you know, to show this part of the character arc? I'm like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. I pop open the book. I find the right page. I add 10,000 words. Nobody's life has really changed by that. Yeah. In a comic, a change like that can cost, like if you legitimately have to make a change like that, it can cost thousands of dollars. People might have to re, you know, redo the pages, you know, where they have to completely redo the art or the color. And if you really do the art, you have to do the colors and the letters. Like it just, it ripples down. So you have to make sure that it's kind of, everybody is certain and it's nailed down. You just don't have that freedom of the book of like, oh yeah, I can throw out 10,000 words, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Do you, do you think that you prefer to work in that kind of more hectic IP world uh, where you're where you're you're playing in someone else's sandbox um, versus kind of being in you know as much total control as any author is. I mean, I I love a mix of both. Um, yeah. I I knew I was never kind of cut out for the indie world. I I don't want to be the the publisher and the editor and the cover designer. And like, I, I knew that I didn't want to do that. So I accepted from the first book that like this baby was not my baby. I had joint custody with another shareholder, you know? Right. So um, I was never that person. I was like, this is my, you can't change anything. I was always like, Oh, you have good ideas. Cool. Let's do that. Um, and I've been very lucky also that, you know, I've, I've had editors all along that if, if they said, could you make this edit? And sometimes it'd be like, Ooh, I would rather we did this because I was going for this and this and this. Let me make that more apparent on the page. And they're like, oh, okay. So I've never really had something that I was super disturbed about that an editor asked me to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I really like to mix it up because, you know, your own books, we have these ideas and we're driven to write them. And uh, it's amazing when an, an editor, you know, sees, uh, sees a, a spark there and wants to buy it and, and take it wide. And that's great. But the IP work, it's just, it's, I always think of it like, being put into a room filled with all of your favorite toys. Yeah. Like, oh my God. I like, I want to play with all of these toys right now. Here's all the things I can do with these toys. I've heard people say like, Oh, don't you feel like you're put in a box? And it's like, I do my best work in a box. Huh. Um, so it's, it's fine. But it's also like when you do IP, you don't have to do the heavy lifting of world building. I don't have to work out the science of or math of Star Wars. Right. Um, I just get to play with the characters that I want to play with. And if, if I need a new, a new, uh, planet or a new ship or a new animal. I just invent it. So there's still some, some leeway there. Oh, that, that's really cool. So do you feel like you've had an ultimately good experience with doing all this various IP work? Oh yeah. Oh God. I've been so lucky. I have had just the coolest editors, um, for, for everything that I've done. I mean, my, my star Wars editors are incredible. Um, Elizabeth and, and Tom and, uh, I like, I, I just like hanging out with them. Like at the cons, when the con day is over, like I go back to them. I'm like, are you guys going out to dinner? Like, I, I just want to be friends with them. Yeah. And um, my comics editors, um, Denton at IDW and Chris at Boom, they're both out of the editing kind of game right now. But like, they were really cool. Um, Firefly uh, editors were very cool. But I, yeah, I've never like really butted heads with anybody or, or had any kind of problem. There are some issues like you have to have a certain kind of tenacity to write for especially Star Wars. Um yeah. you know, like a book an author writes yourself, you have you, maybe your agent puts in some input, you have your editor, maybe your editor has, you know, a a, a protege that might, you know, get to throw the book around or whatever, but that's that's kind of it. Phasma came back and there were so many people arguing in the comments that it crashed word. There were like oh 17 God. people trying to decide if the ship that I had like plucked out of my old RPG book could have been in that sector in that year or what the quad drive yards were doing. And I was just like, guys, just tell me a ship. I don't care. Like you, any ship. I don't care. <laughs> this is right. not, um, so yeah, it's like, I haven't had problems, but there have definitely been some, some interesting challenges because uh, you know, Different people are trying to accomplish different things, uh, and and your job is to make them happy. Ultimately, do you and and I know that this I don't know this might be this might be a sore spot, so I can back off of it uh, if need be. But do you find yourself getting very frustrated from uh, having to work in an IP where the fan base is so rabid and huge, and and some of them worship you, and some of you want to kill you? Like, is that is that super stressful? Um, you know, when your book is is a, a hot new thing and people are talking about it, there's definitely um, some fans who show their fierce love of an IP by tearing down people. Right. Um, but what we 
kind of there's there's like like a secret Star Wars like um, family of people who reach out to the new people and are like, honey, if you have questions, come to me because you're going to you're going to get attacked and, you know, just block them. Don't worry. Just block. Yeah. them. I remember going to my editors and be like, these people are being mean, but I don't want to make fans mad. And they're like, no, block, like just block them and move on. Like you don't owe them anything. Um, they were very, very supportive about that. Uh, but yeah, I've definitely pulled away from um, I don't want to say political statements, but like I, I'm not going to poke the bear. Um, right. I'm, I'm a mom with two kids living a life like I don't need people being super mad at me. There's nothing I need badly enough out of my Star Wars fiction to have, you know, people uh, coming after me in droves. So like, I guess it kind of ramps up when a, a book's coming out and then they kind of lay low or maybe I've just muted or blocked enough of them. Um, but, you know, on the other side of the, the fence, like I wrote an X-Files book. It, it was super chill. The X-Files people were like super chill. They liked it. There were almost no edits. There were no problems. And like the fans were super lovely. Yeah. And, you know, the Firefly, I guess I didn't get to do that much PR for it because uh, Firefly the Sting came out like right before the or during the I can't quite remember, but it was like very close to the, the pandemic. So I don't even know. I don't think I ever even got to sign that one at all. Um, right. But Firefly people have been very nice. Um, I was worried that I would make the Rick and Morty crowd annoyed, but they didn't come after me. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. It's so it's so hard because um you know, online, it's real easy to take pot shots, but you go to Star Wars Celebration and just everyone is so filled with love and, and joy and hope and kindness. Like there's just not, nobody, I guess it's because it takes so much energy to love something at that level where like I bought the airplane tickets, I got the plane tickets, I got the celebration tickets, like I stopped my life to come here. And you're like, this is all positive stuff. Whereas online, you can just throw pot shots at anybody, it doesn't cost you anything. Yeah. Huh. Do you find that when you go to those kind of events, are you seen as just the person writing for that world? Or do you have people come up to you with your own books or other universe stuff and say, oh, can we sign this or or want to talk about it? Yeah, no, we do get that. And it's awesome. Like, I'm always happy to geek out about pretty much anything. So yeah, I've, I've signed things. People will stay in line and be like, is this okay? And I'm like, yeah. And people will be like, I'm so sorry. My book is so torn up. And I'm like, no, well-loved book is like the biggest, that's the, the, the biggest honor you can give an author to be like, I have loved the heck out of this book. Um, yeah. I've seen a lot of people come up to Christy Golden and bring her World of Warcraft books when she's signing at Star Wars Celebration. And people are just like a sheet of tears because they love her World of Warcraft so much. So yeah, I mean, yeah. We, all, we all kind of get that, but it's all, it's all love. Like, it's all good. I'm, I'm happy to sign pretty much anything like Maybe not under the bathroom stall, but like I'll stop in the hallway for you. I, you know, if you come to the Firefly panel, I'll sign your Star Wars book. Like I, I'm pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I always just kind of wonder how much, I guess, cross pollinization there is between fandoms um, and, and that sort of thing. And I've, I've kind of done, you know, I've, I've asked, you know, various authors, you know, kind of what their experiences are. And, and, you know, obviously I'm not going to name any names, but I, I know some authors who have had, kind of bad experiences doing ip work and and it's it, it always gets gives me kind of a mixed feeling because there's some authors that seem to just love it and they they are they work within that system very well and there's other authors that just they try to do that system and and immediately feel very bad about it yeah i mean it's it's not only a very specific skill set that not a ton of people have. I mean, you have to be able to, in general, produce about 110,000 words in six to eight weeks. And they have to be sharp enough that you only maybe need one more round of editing. Yeah. Um, you have to be able to pivot on a dime. If you come up with a 15-page, I, I want, for one of my books, I had a 15-page, no, sorry, 14, let's not lie. A 14-page single-spaced outline. And one day I came home and there was a huge box of cookies on my front porch, like New York, big, giant, meaty, expensive cookies. And I was like, yeah somebody trying to poison me? Like, what is this? Who would send? I don't know anybody in New York who's sending me cookies. And then I get the email that's like, dear Delilah, I am so sorry. We have lost the complete outline. We're going to have to start over. Oh, <laughs> and you just have to be like, all right, okay, what do you want? Like, what do you want? You know, but, but lots of people can't do that. They you get very hung up on things or you, um, you know, some brains need more uh, order and stability. So you have to be able to pivot. You have to be able to take the um, criticism. Mm-hmm. And as, as it's meant and not be like, no, this is my precious, beautiful, perfect thing. You have to be like, yeah, no, that's cool. You own it. You get to, you get to decide how you want it. Um, and I think it also depends, especially for some other people I've spoken to writing in the same IPs on who your editors are. Yeah. 
uh, and and the kind of rapport that you have with them and their editing style. Like I said, I've been super fortunate to have really uh, just vibed with all of my editors and, and have been on the same page. That's very cool. I'm I'm glad to hear that. It's 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 fun to hear kind of the alternate side of that and and to know that some people are really genuinely having a good time with it. I mean, it's it's always it's not easy. Like there there are hard moments, especially like after the the ramp up of the Star Wars book, the fast writing, the fast editing. You know, the big deal of it coming out. Like I I get burnout usually after both of my Star Wars books have come out. I've had my biggest cases of, of burnout where I was just like anhedonia. Like when when my my agent called me and was like number ten, and I was like number ten what? She was like <laughs> number ten on the New York Times bestseller list, and I was like what is? And she was like your book, and I was like. Oh, cool. She was like, aren't you excited? And I was like, sure. Right. It was a weird moment. Like you expect this to be this high of your life. And instead you're just like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just that your brain is just totally mush at that point, I imagine. Well, you're also just kind of done with it where you're like, okay. Right. Oh, that see, that's fascinating because like when, you know, and and I'm sure you've had the same experience when, because when you have your own work coming out, it's so like, like you finish the book and and you turn in the final copy and then it's not even out for like eight months, you know, like, or more. And, and so you're, when it does come out, you're suddenly excited about it again. You know, you've had enough time to decompress from it and, and you're like, Oh, Hey, yes, I have a book out. Yay. Yeah. I mean, like the day that it shows up on your doorstep and you're like, Oh my God, I'm holding it. It's real. Like that's a great moment though. Right. But I'll right. say like for star Wars books, my favorite moment is typically the moment that I get to like announce it on stage because both of mine I've gotten to announce them in like a you know the stage with like 10 people on it and a thousand people in the crowd and a jumbotron like that's the best moment <laughs> after that it's all work oh man that's got to feel awesome I I've been asked to do IP work just a couple of times and and both times my agent has basically taken me aside and you know digitally and said uh and said look Brian this is it's not this is not your brand. You know, you're, you are doing fantastic with the Epic fantasy. You know, the money's just not quite good enough that the effort you would put into it's not quite, you know, it's not worth it for you. And I, I always, both times I've just felt kind of like, Oh, am I missing like the coolest opportunity to work for wizards of the coast, you know, like, or something like that. And I think my agents always right in terms of what's best for my personal career. Um, but, but man, I also have a standing order for her that if, that if for some reason, you know, Lucasfilm comes to her and says, we want Brian to do like a Boba Fett novella. Yeah, that's happening no matter what. Like it's, it's funny how you kind of get authors that end up almost pivoting to kind of IP authors. Um, I did, I got to meet, uh, Christy Golden a couple of years ago, uh, at a convention in Poland. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't really know who she was, but we sat on a table together and there was a bunch of people talking. So I, you know, surreptitiously Googled who she was really quick. And I'm like, (laughs) holy crap, her career is massive. And, and I, and then I ended up having a really fascinating conversation with her about all this stuff. And, uh, and it's, it's such a cool, different world. Um, but like I said earlier, it's a world that you think would overlap with my own career, but it kind of doesn't. Well, it's going to be, I think, the the right project for you, too. Um, I've been offered a couple of IP projects that it was like, uh, you know, we want 150,000 words. And then the money that they offered me was like one fifth as much as I've gotten for like my lowest uh, personal book where you're like, that's not that that's not even worth my time. Like to even right. outline it, it's not really worth my time. Um, and, and then you're just like, people must be accepting this rate, you know, to, to do it. I also had one that... Uh, had a higher rate than usual. It was it was um, pretty pretty much twice my normal rate uh, for half the words. But it was a it was an IP that I for a, you know a, a game I didn't play in a world I would have taken so much to ramp me up. And I kind of started reading um, some other things in the area, and I was like, this is not you know it's it didn't connect, and it felt like if I did take this, I would be taking it away from somebody who really loved it, like that it would mean a big deal to them, and it would be the best day of their career to get this this message. Whereas for me, it would have just been like, I'm just doing it for the money. And like, I don't want to be that person. I really got to care. Like you have to do, you have to live in this world, know these characters, have all of the the resources, be able to do the deep dive. Like, I don't know if you look back here, like there's like, there's so many star Wars books. Uh, that's only one of my star Wars reference shelves up there. 
there's another one outside. I've got all the old RPG books. Like I've got all the open it up and see the inside of the ship books. Like I already had that before they wanted me to write it, but some other worlds I'm like, it take a lot to ramp me up to this. And and then I see who actually gets it. And I'm like, Oh, this is a perfect project for you. I'm so glad you got it. <laughs> do you think that, do you think that saying no is a luxury? Yeah. I mean, you can, all, I, I think that an artist always has to have their hard nose. Yeah. There's nothing worse than this heart seeking feeling of like, I am tethered to this project. I don't like it. I'm not enjoying it. Writing it is torture. I'm not going to be proud of it at the end. Like that's nobody wants that feeling. So but I mean, I'm also, I've been very privileged. Like I started writing as a stay-at-home mom with a supportive spouse. So like I kind of always had the privilege of saying no, which some people don't want. Right. Mom deserves the best. And there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Do you find that you you like the the world of being able to sit at home in your office and just kind of be a I, I guess a self starter I suppose? Do you find you like that or do you find that stressful? No, oh, I love it. I I love writing so much. I get so excited about it. Um, I've never really like I know it's work, and there's some parts of the process, especially that kind of like thirty to sixty thousand kind of slug slug space in the middle, like the dirty swamp of writing where you're like, oh, this is really hard. Like I'm going to sit here till I have 2000 words and then I, can ha- I can't have dinner until I write it. And that's where we are. But in general, I feel like like that's my my me time. I get to like do it. I, I think about it. Um, you know, it's like today I, I get to write the first chapter of a new book and it's like I've been thinking about it all day while I was working out, while I was driving. Um, so that'll be my me time because like my kids have been home for a year and a half. So, you know, getting sequester myself quietly is, is also very pleasant. But you know, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't know I wanted to be a writer from the beginning. I started out as a visual artist. And I went to school for um, visual art. And I have an art degree. And I worked in nonprofit art centers, uh, which was a super awesome job, except there's only like two in every state. Yeah. And you don't get one unless somebody dies pretty much. So it got to a point where uh, I, I couldn't find a job in kind of my chosen career path. So I was home with my children. And then I started writing just because my husband was like, you need a hobby that you can do anywhere, anytime by yourself, that's just for you. And so writing was my oasis. Like he would take the kids to Target for 45 minutes and I would get to write. He would stay home with them at night and I would go to Starbucks and I would get to write. And so it still feels like that oasis. It never turned into like, oh, this thing I have to do. It's always like, holy crap, I can't believe I get to do yeah. this. Oh, that's very fun. Very fun. What uh, you, you mentioned your workout and I, I wanted to bring that up just because your Instagram is just like, is this, so you've gone kind of, as far as I can tell, you've gone crazy into weightlifting and biking and things. Is that a lifelong passion or is that like a recent thing? No, this is brand new. I, I am a, before now I have been like a sedentary sloth person. I don't like exercise. I do not run. Um, I liked riding horses until I broke my back. And then even though I got back in the saddle, it, it was never quite the same. It wasn't as relaxing. So I was always waiting to get thrown yeah. again. Um, so, you know, I, I, I went into the pandemic. Uh, with no physical activity at all. And then one day I just, I was like, you know, I'm 40 something. My body feels terrible. I'm just going to go out in the yard and walk 5,000 steps and listen to podcasts while I do it. And I've got to get some exercise or I'm going to die. Like I felt like I was ossifying in place. And so I started doing that. So every day I I walked 5,000 steps. And then my friend uh, in Tampa was telling me about how she would bike to the ice cream shop with her kids. And I was like, if I had a bike, could we bike to the ice cream shop? (laughs) She started riding around her neighborhood to go to the ice cream shop. And like I worked up from like three miles to six miles to nine miles to 12 miles. And then 
she was telling me about how she was going mountain biking. So I was like, if I had a mountain bike, would you take mountain biking? And then we started mountain biking and I got really into that. Um, so yeah, I've been into mountain biking for about a year mm-hmm. now. And, and it's, it's the closest I can come to horseback riding without a horse because like you're in, what I liked about horses was trail riding in the forest. And so basically it's, it's that just, I have to do all the work. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, at the same time, like horses are very expensive and my bike is not that hard to maintain. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. So then in December, uh, I, my, my, my husband was like, you know, do you want to do a body scan and see how, how you're, you've changed, like since you did started the walking and the biking. So I went into the body scan and I saw the results and I was like, I am very upset right now. Um, I do not like this amount of fat that's in my body and um, the muscle loss and the the bone loss I'm suffering. Like I was so upset. I thought that I was going to be like a Superman. Right. <laughs> and I saw my body scan. I was like, I'm, I'm a jello slime mold is what I'm <laughs> Um, so I saw that a Facebook friend did Olympic lifting, which is, you know, it's, it's not just, it's not like random lifting. It's like two very specific lifts where you lift the very heavy thing over mm-hmm. your head in a way that can be like Olympic scored, I guess. And so I started it and, and I'm doing it three times a week now. And I love it. It's the most cerebral exercise um, I've ever had to do. Like you really have to, it's such a brain game and you have to think about it. But yeah, it's, it's weird to go from a person who, um, does not own workout clothes to a person who is like, oh, either either have to you know do laundry or go buy some more pants because I'm out of workout pants. Right. I, uh, I I've read before that um, that basic exercise, even just going on walks, actually is really good for stimulating creativity. Have you have you found that for yourself? Oh yeah, I solved so many problems. Like I would just walk circles around my yard, um, listening to podcasts. So I listen to like, uh, you know, kind of, I don't want to say self-help, more like self-growth and creativity podcasts where they do interviews with people. But when things got boring, they started talking about something I didn't want, my mind would wonder and I would figure things out. Um, I used to figure out stuff riding my my horse, like the whole like Wake of Vulture series, those, all those stories kind of got, you know, story broken while I was on trails. Um, so yeah, I get, I get a lot, a lot of ideas when I'm moving around and when I'm driving yeah. and it, it's turning out that, um. Like I, I have playlists for my books and, and I used to listen to music a lot, but now I listen to these podcasts and, you know, I'll kind of fade out when things get boring and my brain will start working and the ideas will come. It's uh, it's really interesting to have changed that part of my process because it used to be all music all the time and now it's a podcast. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, I, I kind of went through a similar sort of transition. I tend to only be able to focus on one thing at a time. So like I can't really listen to music and try to write or anything like that. Um, and so listening for anything for me used to be only in the car, you know, or, you know, sometimes I, if I'm playing a video game that I know really well that I can kind of do in my sleep, then I'll put on a podcast or something like that. But yeah, I kind of did that same transition from listening to music over to finding a cool podcast or like a, like a history book on audio or something like that. And, uh, and I love that for kind of creative inspiration. Um, I listened to one like two years ago that I still think about all the time. Um, I don't even remember the title, but it was about the basically the secret agents that Britain set up during World War II. And it was just like that kind of stuff. Even though I don't write anything that vaguely resembles World War II, that kind of stuff is so cool in terms of getting your brain going, getting your creative impulses kind of feeling like, Oh yeah, that's a, that's that little, one little tiny detail is perfect for, you know, this next, you know, scene or something like that. Yeah. I I think that's one thing that the pandemic has made more challenging is I used to get so many little idea seeds, you know, from traveling things you overhear or see in an airport when you're in a different town. Um, But, you know, you just get those little inspirations and being trapped in your house, your brain, it's hard to get that same level of stimulation and that same level of, you know, novelty. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, when I, you know, like before the pandemic, I, I, I don't think I'd go to nearly as many cons as you do, but I'd still try to hit four to six a year kind of thing. And I always found that when I got home from being at a convention, my creative brain was just, it was humming, you know, like, like having that change of scenery. And like you said, overhearing people talk is one of the funnest things to like, kind of get make your brain click and and do something that it hasn't been doing before. I know creatively during the pandemic that was my biggest struggle was that feeling of stagnation of not seeing or doing or hearing anything new. It was all my office all the time. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there were definitely moments where I had to get really bored where I had to, you know, kind of unplug and have a drink and just go somewhere where I you know, like the couch yeah. or, or, or the bath where it's like, you can't do anything. Like you can't look at screens. Like you just, you have to be bored. And that's how I would, you know, figure out little story problems that I had. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, the shower, a long shower is like my like secret weapon against, you know, writer's block water. It's, it's moving water. Like, um, being, being at the beach works a lot for me. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, showers and baths and water moving. Were you near the beach when you lived in Florida? We were about an, like 45 minutes or an hour away, but it, you know, it's like, when I was there, I wouldn't think of it very much. Now that I'm like, I could have been there right. Like, I want to go to the beach like right this minute, and I could have. But now it's eight hours away. Like, you know, it's it's that that kind of grass is always greener thing. But at the same time, you know, when you live far away and you go to the beach, it's like, okay, we need at least four or five days, if not seven, and you have this kind of room to kind of splute and and enjoy yourself. Yeah. Whereas when you live 45 minutes away, it's like drive there and you have to have brought everything with you. You have to make sure your kids are good and they're not sick and everybody's used the potty and you brought snacks and you have money for the snow cone. And then you get to the beach and like, it may or may not have good weather. It may or may not have good flags. It may or may not have, you know, red tides or whatever. And like somebody gets, you know, scrapes their knee and something happens. And then you have like an hour back home and everybody's like sunburned and sandy and gross. Like it just doesn't have that ah, feeling. It, it feels like Mad Max basically. Right. <laughs> I uh I remember doing that you know like I grew up in in Ohio like right near Lake Erie. So lots of beaches. With, yeah, I mean the beaches in Ohio they exist and they're gross. Um, <laughs> Lake Erie is not a good beach, but you still go because you live in the Midwest and that's the best thing. Uh, and I, but I remember that like that trek my mom would do of just filling the back of the car with half of the house, yep. even just for an afternoon to go up and sit at the beach and smell fish. Yeah. <laughs> and it was always my, my wife still makes fun of her for bringing like whole pans of brownies for the kids and things like that. It's just, I won't complain about whole pan of brownies at the beach. I mean, I feel the same way. That's that, that's just thinking ahead, right? being prepared yeah like i knew like which restaurants were on the right on the way there and on the way back right uh right. yeah racing racing uh when everybody gets that kind of like grouchy afternoon attitude yeah you're all kind of sunbaked and tired and dehydrated and yeah. you gotta you gotta do something to pick everybody up no i usually we usually go to the beach every summer we we have the same place at saint augustine we've been staying for like 10 years but uh you know my husband's got a new job one of my kids gets car sick and you know florida is not obeying any mask politeness at all like it's just not it, it would be a, an aggressive trip i think against my anxiety but like i really want to go to the beach right now but it's either well, you'd have to drive between five and eight hours or you have to go through the atlanta airport yeah <laughs> neither are good choices no i miss the i miss the tampa airport so much like of all the things in tampa i miss like sure bush gardens the water park the zoo I really miss the airport. <laughs> so cute and little and the food was good. <laughs> That's great. Now you, you write and have written in tons of different genres and subgenres. Do you, is that on purpose or do you just kind of fall into what you want to work on next happens to be different? Yeah. So I knew from the start, I was going to want to write in a lot of genres. Like the first book I ever wrote was a kind of women's fiction, chick fic, whatever they used to call it. Um, and by the time I was querying that I'd had the next idea, which was a middle grade adventure. Yeah. So when I was querying, um, agents, I only looked for ones that represented, um, middle grade, YA, fantasy, science fiction, um, women's fiction, romance, kind of the whole, the whole gamut. So that was part of the, the game from the start, I guess. But I just know that I, I like to jump around and I want to be able to have the freedom to pursue whatever, whatever occurs to me. That's very exciting. Yeah. And it's cool. Like I've, I've gotten, I've really gotten to jump around and do a lot of different stuff and it keeps me from getting bored. Right. Like, like, I, so I wrote down a list of various genres and subgenres you've done in steampunk romance, star Wars, you've done comics, erotica, comedy, young adult, like, weird western like just a huge variety and i i kind of like there's like a business part of me that always is thinking well brian you have to focus on your brand and you know you are now an epic fantasy author and that's probably what you're going to be forever but there's also a part of me that i i, I do i kind of love and admire that 
kind of genre jumping and and being able to work on what looks and sounds cool to you at the time. Is there one that you kind of that rises above the others that you feel more at home in? Or is it kind of all just, you know, whatever's feeling good at the time? Yeah, I mean, it's whatever I'm currently writing is my my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it's these are all, you know, aspects of things that I enjoy. And uh, I don't know, it's like, um, I don't know, I remember having a conversation with my, my first agent pretty early on in my career, because my the, the middle grade adventure was um, on submission for like a year and a half and went to the table twice with an R&R and didn't sell. And then she started selling my steampunk vampire romance. And uh, the next book I was writing was a young adult horror. And she was like, we need to talk about your brand. And I was like, my brand is I do what I want. Right. <laughs> Which is why my website is whimsy dark, because I was like, everything I write is kind of whimsical and kind of dark. Somewhere on that spectrum between whimsical and dark, it's it's somewhere in there. But I, I just remember she was kind of annoyed with me. And it was just like, I'm not, it's not, it's never going to stick. It's never, you're, <laughs> you're trying to put magnets on a steel fridge like it's not gonna work <laughs> and you you don't you want me to be able to dance like you don't want to tackle me to a chair because i will make a lot more money for you agent if you just let me dance right right that's cool what um w- so the one of them that really funnily enough stood out to me is the kind of comedy fantasy you wrote with kevin hearn yeah i i genuinely want to know where that came from because oh, i know is- both you and kevin and yeah, this is a good story. Yeah, and I'd, lo- I'd love to hear about that. Okay, so it started when um, Charlene Harris invited Kevin and I to a signing in Texas. <laughs> and so we were like, sure, why not? And Jay Wells said we could stay with her. So we, we individually flew to, uh, to Dallas to stay with Jay Wells uh-huh. and uh, go to a signing with Charlene Harris and Mark Henry and Rachel Kane. God bless her soul. And it was just a raucous, wonderful, good time. And on the way back, uh, Jay dropped us off at the airport and we were like, okay, we haven't, somehow we, we were in Texas. And we never had barbecue. We've got to find barbecue in this airport. And everybody was like, oh, go to this barbecue place and this terminal. And we went there and it was closed. So we went to the next barbecue place that we could find. It was real bad. <laughs> so I'm from Georgia. I lived in South Carolina. Like I know good barbecue. It was not good. So we're like 10 o'clock in the morning in the Dallas airport eating this subpar barbecue that we're very well aware is bad barbecue. We're both like kind of like, rage eating yeah. and was like hey buddy i've got this idea for an anthology where we give the finger to fantasy and every story is you take a classic fantasy trope and flip it on its head and it's called um and i'm gonna write a story about killing the farm boy yeah and i was like okay well i want to write you know the chainmail bikini and so we started like this list of like people we could ask and kevin started sending emails to people and then we started thinking about like how we're going to corral 12 to 14 writers whose agent is his, his agent didn't want to represent it. Neither did mine. And yeah, you know, people started asking questions we didn't know how to answer. And he was like, I give up. I can't do this. Like, I'm not, I'm not the cat herder. I am a writer. Right. And a couple of months went by. So like it just kind of, the idea died a couple of months went by. And I think I was thinking about, you know, maybe the expanse or something where I was like, Hey, Kevin, if we wrote a book together, we would each write half a book. And maybe they would pay us twice as much. <laughs> and so we took Kill the Farm Boy and we just kind of started batting it around. I think it was on Twitter DMs just of, you know, fun characters to write. Oh, and what if this? And, oh, if what in that? And then Kevin wrote a chapter and then I wrote a different chapter. And then we got like five chapters and we uh, plotted out 30, you know, like 30 chapters where we were just like, you know, in which something, something. And we sold it on, you know, like five chapters and a, an outline like that. Yeah. So it was all just like two friends having a lot of fun over bad barbecue. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also just a real delight because Kevin's one of my best friends. He's such a good writer. He's so much fun to work with. Yeah. He had the best time with those books. Like the first book, we kind of batted around on Twitter DMs. But then the second book, after we'd sold the series, we were both going to um, a convention in New Orleans. I think it might have been uh, RT and or it might have been a reader con. I, I can't remember. We were both in New Orleans and we're like, oh, we're going to go Frenchman Street and just start in a bar and get a drink. And we're going to take a little notepad. And at every bar, we're going to have a drink and just go up the street and just start outlining this book. Yeah. So No Country for Old Gnomes, that's how we did it, was just bar hopping down Frenchman Street, (laughs) listening to live music, getting weird drinks, looking at weird art. And that's how that book was story broken. And then the third one was in Seattle. We wanted Spam Masubi. Um, Mm -hmm. So we started at a nice Japanese sushi restaurant. And then we ended up at like a tiki hut. and so. 
you can tell that book has kind of maritime influences. <laughs> and we like name drop Span Musubi because it was so good. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was just, those books were so much fun. And they were so easy to write because it wasn't like me toiling away in my attic garret at midnight. It was like Kevin sending me a chapter and I would read it and make little comments like, oh my God, buddy, this is so funny. And then I'd, you know, I'd write the next chapter, but we'd each be trying to make the other person laugh as hard as possible. Yeah. So it just, it was just like playing hopscotch. It was, it was amazing. Oh, and I've heard great. like that some, you know, co-writers that it's like a very fraught relationship, but ours was just super fun. Well, and that's what, one of the reasons I asked about it is because I've, I've always made the assumption that if, that I am a big enough prima donna, um, <laughs> That if I was trying to co-write with some with a friend, it would destroy the friendship. Um, and and I'm I, I'm just kind of amazed that you guys were able to do that. But I, I guess I mean maybe I'm not that amazed because if you're coming at it from a point of view of of trying to make each other laugh, of it being fun, then it's probably going to be a lot easier to do. Well, I think the keys here were also like um, we had equal ownership. Nobody felt like this is my book. This is my idea. This is my character. Only I can write Fia. Only I can write Gustav. Um, there was just this complete, nobody, nobody owns anything, you know, anything is okay and try to make each other laugh. And we also like when we did, uh, you know, kind of when we critiqued and edited each other's things, we gently were like, oh, I don't really kind of get this joke. You know, can you explain it to me? Or like, do you, did you mean something more like this? So like once you take out the ego and you're yeah. just both trying to make the best book you can, um, it was just everything was done in a spirit of kindness and sharing and making the book better as compared to trying to put the other person down. We only had one issue in all three books where we kind of had a disagreement where I'd written a chapter and he'd had something kind of different in mind. And he kind of sent me this note that was like, hey, buddy, I see what you're doing here, but I was really kind of hoping that we could touch on the themes of such and such and such. And I was like, cool, rewrite whatever you want. Like cut, rewrite, whatever you want. I'm happy to do the next chapter too. Like, just tell me what you want to do. And he was like, oh, okay, well. So he like rewrote three quarters of the chapter and I wrote the next chapter and we just moved on. So I think if you're, if you want to do a co-writing experience, you have to choose someone very close to your level that you super respect um, yeah. and that you don't have any kind of a, chip on your shoulder or, or negativity or the need to one up or, you know, not someone that you feel like you're going to roll belly up to or that they need to kowtow for you. Um, it's probably pretty rare. Yeah, I, um, I, I always wonder about, you know, Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank doing The Expanse because The Expanse turned out so amazing and and they've they did so many books in it. And I just I constantly think about how I just I, I feel like creating something that big and, and huge, like with two people, gosh, like it kind of makes me feel stressed just thinking about the whole process of doing it. Like I, I don't consider myself super egotistical, but the few times my ego does rear its ugly head, it's bad. <laughs> and so, so I just like, I look at that kind of thing, like with, with all the greatest respect of Holy crap, two people were actually able to set aside all their creative whatever differences they have and create something really awesome. Yeah, ours was probably also a lot easier than theirs on multiple levels, but because ours wasn't a, a continuous story, it was modular, you could read the books out of order. So we had to remember the world and a couple of the characters, but it wasn't like, you know, it was, I mean, once you get to so many books in a series, it's like you have to remember everything that's ever happened in the whole series up until then. And that's a lot of work. My memory doesn't work like that. Right. I was actually thinking about that with um with doing tie-in fiction because you mentioned all of your Star Wars reference books. How the crap do you remember all of that? Cuz like when I was when I was 16 and I was reading every Star Wars book that came out, I did have a near encyclopedic knowledge of Star Wars, but you know the number of Star Wars universe things has, you know, increased by a factor of 10 since then. Like, how do you keep it all straight? Well, it's kind of like, um, I can write a story set in my town right now that has nothing to do with Paris, France, even though Paris, mm -hmm. France exists in the world and is very important to a lot of people. The Star Wars galaxy is so big. When you kind of section off the portion of your, your galaxy, you know, it, it doesn't have that much overlap. So like writing Phasma, you know, first of all, I was writing a book that I wanted to be kind of an open door to Star Wars canon. So you didn't have to have ever read a book to read it. If, as long as you'd seen The Force Awakens, it would make sense. Yeah. Um, so even though there are like lots of Easter eggs for old school fans, um, I wanted, I didn't want it to be like, 
as you know, Bob, the Kuat sector was in, you know, rebellion against the Vong. Like I, I didn't want any of that really old fashioned stuff. And also because a lot of the canon became legends, we don't have to carry that super big suitcase around. But yeah, Phasma happened on a different planet and on a Star Destroyer that I made up. So outside of like, you know, I couldn't have certain characters because they were off doing something else. Like, you know, there's, there's no, uh, there's no Kylo Ren in my book. There's no Emperor. Right. There's no, you know, Boba Fett. Like, uh, so when you have your own little kind of slice of the pie, it doesn't overlap too much. But I did have to talk to Zoraida Cordova, who was writing um, a book also set in Galaxy's Edge at the same time to make sure that we kind of didn't step on each other's toes. Yeah. I had a, a good question that came in from Twitter that kind of kind of overlaps with all of the IP stuff. Um, well, I specifically want to ask about IP stuff was... Um, where do you personally draw the line between, you know, this, you know, when you're working on something and maybe when you're stuck, especially when you work on something and you're thinking this is not fun, I am not enjoying this. The process is just a slog, you know, where, where does that butt up against this is my job and I need to do it regardless of how much fun I'm having. Um, how do you kind of, how do you wrestle with that with, with something, especially when you have to turn around things so quickly. Yeah. So I know enough about my process by now to know that between 30 to 60,000 words, I will enter into a part of the book I call the soggy middle um, or the swamp of sadness. But basically it's like, you know, you've, you've had the, the beginning of the book and the instigating factor and the conflicts begun. And then you kind of get into the journey where you're just romping across Mordor and you're just kind of tromping. And so what I realized is that I have to entertain myself. If I'm bored, the reader's going to get bored. So I either have to have a moment of action or a moment of that reveals character or a moment of conflict. Um, but it's basically like if I'm bored, I'm not doing my job. So I have to uh, make something happen. Yeah. So those are the times when, you know, I put on my playlist and go in the bathtub or the shower and, and kind of pluck at my mind for something interesting that could happen. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's, that's my job is coming up with exciting stuff. If something exciting isn't happening, I can blow things up. I can make characters kiss. I can have people be attacked. But it's usually like a lot of my books are, are journey books. They're, you know, you start here and then you go over here. Uh, yeah. So you just have to be like, okay, nothing's happened for a while. Something has to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I, so I've kept you quite a long time, uh, but I, I've been trying to end each of these interviews with uh, a question that's kind of closer to my heart, which is, What's the last meal that you had that <laughs> totally blew your mind? Oh, wow. Oh, I love food so much. Well, I mean, first of all, I like talking to you because you're my friend and I miss you. So I'll just talk to you all day. Like, <laughs> I miss seeing you, man. Um, I miss playing on all bars. <laughs> oh, man. I, I miss that as well. That The last few conventions, that was definitely the high point. Yeah, that's that was so much fun. But, oh, man, food. I, uh... I am doing this thing for my health now. I have an autoimmune disease that gets progressively worse as I get older. I have a chronic disease. So my life and body are a lot better if I don't eat a lot of sugar or grains. I can never, ever eat wheat. It messes me up horribly. Um, But grains and milk and sugar, it's best from all of them. So most of the time these days, I am just eating meat, vegetables, and beans or nuts. Um, And I I, three hours a week, I give myself three hours a week when I can eat anything. So th- those are like the three best hours of every week. My daughter is an incredible baker right now. And almost every week she's baking some kind of cupcakes. So every- as soon as she makes them, I freeze two of them and have a little stash in the freezer of like my aluminum wrapped cupcake bombs. So the first thing I do when I have my three hours is I eat her cupcakes. So homemade cupcakes, man, that honestly, that sounds amazing. That's great. Well, and gluten-free flour has gotten so good these days that like, you know, gluten-free cupcakes used to kind of taste like a sponge wearing a top hat. But like now they're, they're just as good as, you know, I'll pass like a cupcake store and be like, yeah, my daughters are better. Yeah. Um, but my son, uh, the day that he, he, his second vaccine kicked in, uh, he wanted to do two things that he hadn't gotten to do for a year and a half. He's 12. He wanted to go to the trampoline park and he wanted to go to the melting pot. So it was very memorable because I got to take him to the melting pot and just eat like all of the cheese (laughs) and all of the meat and all. And then I I only let myself have like a couple of spoonfuls of the chocolate. But I mean, that was that was very memorable just because it was so special to him. But I I could describe like every meal. I I love food. Yeah, we've been, you know, like. Well, here in Atlanta, there's a lot of good dining. So we're kind of like dining outside at 430 on a Wednesday because we're still a little like, "Eh, don't breathe on me. Right. Oh, that's great. 
Well, fantastic. Thanks so much for taking the time to just hang out and chat with me for an hour. It's been super cool to catch up with you. Thanks for asking. It's been the best. Yeah. That was author Delilah S. Dawson. Thanks again to Delilah for sharing her time with me. You can find links to Delilah's social media and some of her books down in the show notes. You can find me, as always, at brianmcclellan.com. Special thanks to James Sutter for music and Tom Bishop for production. If you'd like to support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash pagebreak or buy my books in ebook, paperback, or audio. Don't forget to like and subscribe. deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 